0: you are listening, Ukraine 242. We bring you interview subjects from all walks of life in wartime in Ukraine. Thanks to all our listeners around the world. Here is our collaborator and your host, Anne Levin.
1: Welcome to Ukraine 242, a weekly show featuring conversations with influential people in Ukraine and important scholars in Slavic studies. I am your host, Anne Levine, reporting from WOMR in Provincetown, Massachusetts. Our guest, Pavlo Kuchta, was the Minister of Economy to President Petro Poroshenko and to President Volodymyr Zelensky. He is a board member of the I Am Not Alone Charitable Foundation and a graduate of Kyiv Polytechnic Institute and studied at Aspen Institute, Kiev. Kuchta is an economist at the Center for Economic Solutions. He cooperated with the Reanimation Package of Reforms. From 2015 to 2019, he worked as an advisor to the Minister of Finance. From 2016 to 2019, he was an advisor to the Prime Minister of Ukraine. From September 2019 to April 2020, Kuchta served as the first Deputy Minister of Economic Development, Trade, and Agriculture. He is the co-author of Reforms in Ukraine After Revolution of Dignity, Tilda Publishing, 2019. Pablo describes the first few days of the war and his life-altering experience as a soldier fighting on the front. Hello, Hello, so- Pablo. Can you tell me about your 242? What was the 24th of February like for you?
0: We woke up at 5 a.m. whenever the missiles started hitting to the sounds of explosions. Among various people in Ukraine connected to the security establishment, political circles, etc. There were some rumors that there might be an attack. Of course, uh, this was not the first time, but we were tense. We had some things gathered in case we would need to leave. Uh, So the moment we woke up, we knew that, yes, this time it was right. Uh, And we started monitoring what's going on try connecting to people, you know, trying to understand what's actually happening, what's the situation, how is it unfolding. Uh, And we stayed, we did not leave on 24th. We were not really inclined to leave, but we were afraid that Kiev might be encircled. So on 25th, we evacuated Lviv and stayed there for a while. And uh, after that, I joined the military. And then things kind of stabilized, and I'd say... Our normal life during war started, if you can call it normal.
1: In one of your interviews on the 26th of February, you said you were going to go to the front and you would be fighting. Can you tell me about that experience?
0: Mm, It was after we evacuated. So I, I actually went to the military commission the day we came to Lviv and they were not taking people. So there was a crowd of men and the military guys were saying like, you sir, are you a veteran? No, go away. (laughs) We'll call you up. Uh, Then in a couple of weeks, I contacted my friends, uh, my former colleagues who were actually fighting there in one of the units and asked to join and joined them as volunteers for a time.
1: What was that like?
0: Hmm. Well, you know, it's a profound experience in a way. This changes you. It's a sort of test, I'd say. Uh, Some shades of nature probably only be uncovered under extreme danger. There is this strange feeling. Actually, I told this to Julia, my wife, and then she quoted it in her book, The Fight of Our Lives. There is this very strange feeling. The first time I was in actual combat, We were specifically targeted by the Russians. So this uh, feeling when everything goes away and it's very calm, quiet and very nice, (laughs) strangely enough. So under the fear, the pressure of what's happening, there is this very calm and good feeling because everything goes away, right? In this situation, all your worries and everything, except what's happening, going around you disappears. And it's, it's a very strange feeling. So extreme danger on one hand and calmness and serenity, I'd say, on the other. So I guess that was my uh, experience. First time I went into action and we got into a real dangerous situation. So we were directly targeted by the Russians.
1: Prior to fighting, were you afraid?
0: Mm, Yes, to some extent, but probably more worried under very heavy pressure. You know, like, you immediately need to do a lot of stuff. You need to make a lot of decisions. The decisions are quite important because they can mean life or death. Like it did for some people, right? Who decided to stay and then came under a Russian occupation and were murdered. So it's tough. Everyone is nervous. So the situation is developing all the time. Like, uh, you know, had to get hold of my wife. We had to agree on what we were doing, had to grab hold of several other people whom we helped to evacuate get them on board you know everyone is panicking no one understands really what's going on the first two days were very hectic and the russian attempt to take the airports near kiev uh, on some ukrainian social media there was information that the russians were defeated but in fact at the same time on cnn the correspondent was transmitting live and he was standing like 20 meters away from russian paratroopers who were there and fortunately they failed in their first uh, attempt. They were ultimately dispersed by Ukrainian special operations forces, and they were defeated there. Yeah, Actually, I went back to Kyiv, we drove some supplies to the military guys. Uh, so I was there when it was besieged, and it was very eerie. I've lived in the city my whole life, so I know it pretty well, and it was the first time I saw it empty. It was besieged. It was dangerous to walk the streets in the dark because everyone was very nervous and there were snipers on the roof. There were guards everywhere. People were trigger happy. Many of them were civilians who just joined territorial defense or were mobilized immediately. There were Russian saboteurs operating in the city, so everyone was afraid. It was a really very, very strange atmosphere in the town.
1: As a politician who had been in Zelensky's cabinet and having a girlfriend yulia mandel
0: my wife no (laughs) right
1: who was Mm -hmm. zelensky's press secretary did either one of you have any sort of insight into this did you believe at all that it was coming
0: i'd say yes we were more or less on the same page with with what political circles were thinking we expected some kind of escalation but we expected escalation in donbas we expected that they would, would attack in donbas against the military union stationed there and the various hybrid attacks cyber escalation of information warfare more cyber rattling along the borders this kind of hybrid escalation like the russians practiced before uh, that they would just blatantly attack like they did was discounted because it was not rational in terms of what they expected the outcome of their invasion would be. And, actually, this thinking, in a way, proved to be right. Because, generally, the military gear were saying that the forces the Russians gathered are not enough to successfully overrun Ukraine. What they've gathered is not enough to win. And they did suffer a defeat because of that. They were completely unprepared for the resistance they would face. They suffered huge losses in the first few days of invasion. Though, kind of gut feeling, I guess, was telling me that, yeah. But I did not believe it at the time. I guess always trust your gut. <laughs> that's the lesson <laughs> from the Ukra- Russian-Ukrainian war.
1: Wow, that's the lesson. So you were the minister of finance.
0: Acting minister of economy. It was economy and agriculture at the time.
1: Well, what's happening in the economy in Ukraine now?
0: This is probably one of the most important questions. The economy is, of course, in very bad shape. It's on life support. It is totally supported by the West. So half of what Ukraine spends is covered by Western assistance. And most of the arms and ammunition and a lot of supplies for the military also come as Western assistance. Uh, So at this point, what's fighting Russia is actually not just Ukraine, but the system where Ukraine is doing the fighting and the West is keeping Ukraine fighting. And this victory that is kind of being achieved on the ground militarily in the last month is actually a victory of this coalition because of course ukraine simply by its own resources would not have been able to stand as as it did by its own but this western support keeps the state running and fighting but it cannot support the population right so the people are suffering of course the loss of income is huge the unemployment and even if they have jobs for example these jobs might not be paying anything right now that can be up to one third of all people The borders are still closed, so millions of people were working abroad. Businessmen need to travel constantly to restore some semblance of business life. And going forward, this will be even more of a question. So let's say some kind of ceasefire is reached with Russians. We understand to make this sustainable, right? Not to let this happen again with Russia reinvading several years from now. Ukraine needs to become strong and integrated into EU and NATO, or at least into the EU. And for that to happen, the economy needs to be modernized and it needs to grow quickly, An economic miracle has to happen. Like it happened in Poland and other Eastern European countries. So it's not without precedent, but it has to be repeated. And for that, the two main potential problems would be Ukraine's domestic governance problems, which have always been there, so bad institutions oligarchs, corruption, you know, that, that sort of stuff that, uh, these things that have always kept the country backed, right? Not allowed it to reform by itself. That can be countered by the Western interest in modernizing the country and real intangible presence in this process, like Poland, Slovakia, and the others were also assisted very heavily. They were pushed very strictly. And this has developed their institutions. So uh, the same attention has to be devoted to Ukraine, right? If the West just turns away and looks at other problems, that would be a mistake.
1: You said that if Russia invades again in seven years, do you feel like that's a possibility? I know in the West... The thought is that this will be it when this particular phase of this war ends.
0: I don't know where this kind of thinking in the West comes from. I mean, this war is driven by very deep things within Russia itself. And massive changes have to happen in Russia itself for conflict not to be in the cards. So, and I don't see these changes happening as of now Of course, we will see, but uh, the very corrupt and very problematic society, which they have constructed, where a few people capture the state and use it to extract massive resources from the population, at the same time, keeping the population poor and indoctrinated with very toxic fascist, I would say, ideas, right? The system, by definition, drives them to conflict. This was unavoidable. They have what they call security concerns, which are in fact concerns for their regime, right? They try to blame the U.S. or the EU for provoking some kind of color revolution, and those are crazy conspiracy theories. What really happens is that uh, Russia, Ukraine, and other countries are border to border to normal democratic Europe, and people see the difference in lifestyles quality of life, and they get these ideas. You cannot avoid that. You can only avoid it by closing the borders again, by building up the iron curtain like the old Soviet Union did. By definition, the very existence of the EU and the US is a threat to the Russian regime. Not to Russia as a country, not to the people, but to the Kremlin regime. Because the people constantly see that they're being screwed. to keep the people docile and to keep uh, control kremlin needs to look for enemies and threats to keep the population control right and keep extracting those resources and then they start creating this fascist ideology and then this brings the necessity to invade other countries especially ukraine because ukraine is an example of a revolution where a corrupt regime like putin's was thrown out and after that putin could not not react right mm. the war started in 2014 he invaded because the corrupt autocratic regime of yanukovych very similar to putin uh, maybe weaker was brought down by the people and the same could happen in russia and that's why putin attacked and so if this system in russia is not dismantled and the normal modern democratic state does not arise the reasons for the war will not go anywhere
1: If Putin does get brought down himself, the man, what do you think might replace him?
0: Might be something worse. Might be someone of the same type, but let's say smarter and with more room to maneuver, who will back down a bit, but try to preserve the regime. Uh, Might be someone crazy, some kind of uncontrolled military coup. Maybe some crazy general with even more fascist ideas. This can happen as well. I mean, whether this can be a kind of democratic, coward revolution, like what happened in Ukraine. I don't see the conditions for that in Russia. The people are really indoctrinated.
1: You are listening to Ukraine 242. I am Anne Levine reporting from WOMR. Back to my conversation with our guest, Pavlo Kuchta. He was the Minister of Economy to President Petro Poroshenko and to President Volodymyr Zelensky. Using the comparison, which many people use in this case of Putin's Russia to Hitler's Germany, Pavlo, once Hitler was gone, that was it. It was over. Is there Mm -hmm. any way you can see something like that happening in Russia?
0: remember that germany was simply occupied and the allied powers fully controlled the german state for a time and the soviet union in the east constructed gdr german democratic republic which was a communist state right of a very different sort so who controlled the territory was the one who built it up and i i don't envisage at this point some kind of occupation of russia i don't think anyone wants that or is planning that i don't see any any reason to talk about this, right? So it will be Russians sorting themselves out, for better or worse, at this point. But I actually think that this Hitler comparison is uh, perhaps emotionally fulfilling, but the Russian state is a fascist state rather than a Nazi state. I think that's the relevant comparison.
1: Could you explain the difference?
0: Russia is of a different sort. You see, the military was not capable of taking Ukraine. It turned out to be a paper tiger because of corruption that hold everything out. Hitler had a strong, well-functioning state at his disposal, like a very strong, evil machine marching across Europe, which the force of the largest nations of the world had to be brought against it to stop it and because he had an efficient military machine, administrative machine. Putin does not have that. Russia is not a strong state as Hitler's Germany was. It's corrupt. Everyone is stealing, everyone is embezzling. Uh, nepotism everywhere, incompetence on all levels. So when it actually starts challenges in some kind of combat, be it military or economic or something, it loses. Because this kind of state cannot compete, it is too corrupt for that. What it does, where its danger lies, is that it constantly tries to spread corruption around. So these information wars that Russia was waging in Western democracy for a while were exactly this kind of thing. They are not trying to win by their ideology. They are trying to promote the worst politicians they can find in the West, to promote conflict. They're trying to corrupt. That's their weapon. The same thing happens in the economy, and they bring dirty business practices. And this is felt extremely in the countries close to them. Pro-Russian politician is, by definition, corrupt and dirty. Usually, mafia-like damaging to institutions so let's be frank russia does not pose any conventional military danger to nato right these talks of russia attacking baltics or attacking poland if they come to a conventional clash with the forces of nato they will be defeated very very quickly but they do possess us nukes so we don't know how how well maintained that nuclear arsenal is given what we've saw from their military but still they do
1: Have the sanctions imposed against Russia by the United States and other Western countries been successful?
0: Oh, yeah, sure. Definitely Western sanctions hit hard. I don't think they were ever intended or... Maybe it was not even possible to just collapse Russian economy in a nutshell. Though it was tried to launch a full-blown crisis in Russia, and by that to throw Russia out of the war. But they managed to avoid the crisis. Putin gave economic governance over to free market economists in the beginning of his reign. And he allowed them to build a system which is fairly robust. And this has allowed them to avoid a macroeconomic crisis. But of course they are in dire straits, they will not be able to develop. They are locked out of capital markets. They've reversed 30 years of foreign direct investment. They are unbankable. They are uninvestable. They are unable to finance themselves. And the only thing going for them is that that they are still a large commodity producer who still has stuff to sell. But that's it.
1: How is Ukraine helping the person who has lost their business or lost their job and they have no income How are they paying the bills, keeping the heat on, buying the groceries?
0: Mm, It's tough. It's tough for the people here. Ukraine essentially only finances military expenditures, salaries of people employed by the state, and social payments, which are mostly pensions. Some support programs were launched for people temporarily unemployed, for uh, cheaper loans for businesses, but these are all simply limited in scope because not enough money is on the table for them.
1: How could we help with that? the United States, or name a country?
0: Mm, It's a job for the international financial institutions, like World Bank, for example, and the IMF.
1: Are the World Bank and the IMF doing anything currently to help out Ukraine, or are there plans in the works?
0: Uh, I believe there is an IMF program in the works. The World Bank is certainly helping by funding. They are working on Ukraine reconstructions uh, but we have to understand that they are large bureaucratic organizations with very clear mandates and beyond these mandates they are just not fit for the purpose. It's actually maybe also more of a job for bilateral partners like the US and maybe the EU as a whole. So it's a question of broadening this program of support for Ukraine to not only military support and the budget support designed to just keep the budget flowing, but also economic support. And this can be designed in different ways. If the public approach is taken, what would a recovery program be? How large would it be? What would it be funded with? Would the Russian assets that are frozen in international banks be used to fund this public program as reparations for the damage Russia did? Then it would be Russia paying with its own money for what it did. So I think these assets should be confiscated rather than any kind of financing from Western taxpayers. Or will it be a private sector program where these money would be allocated as a form of collateral, for example, to large international banks to finance investment projects in Ukraine as a way to get cheap financing for projects in Ukraine. And I believe if the private sector approach is chosen, with the public sector participating together with the private sector and helping uphold the rules for the private sector, helping to give the private sector the best framework to work in, then I believe the reconstruction of Ukraine can be very successful, can lead to an economic miracle, to very fast levels of economic growth, and can generate enough resources for Ukraine to be ready to get into the EU, ready to get into NATO, and strong enough to defend itself by itself. And then we would keep the region safe. And we can avoid the next war, let's say. Otherwise, I believe at some point down the line, this will lead to a new conflict.
1: I know that you completely support the government and Zelensky as commander in chief and Ukraine as a whole. However, I cannot help but be very curious about why you left the Zelensky government.
0: Oh, there were some disagreements with uh, what political course was taken there was a change of government uh, certain reforms slowed down also there were some personal issues on my side related mainly to tiredness by that time i worked eight years in the government the combination of that led to my resignation Uh, but again i mean during the war this is all old story we stay united and we fight the common enemy
1: what is president Zelensky like
0: so he was a newcomer when I was in the government. It was clear he did not understand much of what was happening at that point. At the same time, so I think he has pretty you know, good intuitions. He watches people, he notices things. It was clear back then already. So he's a strong person. And we clearly saw that since he was not afraid to stay in Kiev and take the brunt of the attack. The fact that we had a president who had the guts to stand and fight, to stay, and had an understanding of communications, to clearly communicate this to the people and to the army, to keep everyone fighting, this was very, very beneficial. So in this regard, he did his job really well.
1: Do you think that prior presidents would have been as successful as commanders-in-chief? A war
0: like that, it's being fought by the whole nation, right? Never one man. So the success that Ukraine has now is driven by very large amount of work that was done in the previous years, particularly after 2014, after the revolution, by very, very many people on different levels who have created at least some institutions that were working, who have rebuilt the military by the Yanukovych, who preserved macroeconomic stability and helped shore up everything so that the economy was able to withstand the shock of the war and not collapse immediately and people prepared themselves and were ready to stand and fight and not give up and even if you look at how the war actually happened, a lot of decisions are being taken by the commanders on the ground in Ukraine that's why Ukrainian military is successful against the Russians the Russians are very centralized everything has to go up top the guy at the top has to decide everything in Ukraine it's not like that you know people take initiative so it's a people's war you know and everyone contributed their part
1: Unlike most Americans' perceptions, this war has been going on since 2014. And Mm -hmm. this has been a huge escalation, but also a huge difference in response in Ukraine. What has happened?
0: Well, the whole country was attacked. What happened in 2014 was a hybrid aggression, which Russians are better at. They aimed not at them winning, but strengthening forces of corruption and malgovernance. Uh, when they just bluntly attack militarily, they have convinced themselves that they are like the German Nazis. But this is not the kind of thing they're suited to.
1: I have a personal question to ask you. You and your wife come from different administrations, different political parties. And how have you worked that out?
0: I think our viewpoints are actually very 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 much aligned and general understanding as to where our country is headed right that we wanted to become a modern successful civilized country that what was the problem and it's more than just corruption in the sense of bribes or kickbacks it's worse than that. It's a fight between a society where ultimately your competence, who you are, determines what you can achieve, which is not what the West is, but what the Western societies strive to be, versus a society built on manipulation, the intrigue, not on merit. That's what Soviet Union was. That's why our communism ultimately failed, right? And it's always keeping everyone behind. That's why these societies collapse when faced off against the West, because ultimately no one wants to live like that. So that's the fight of our lives. (laughs) And the war between Russia and Ukraine right now is a part of that fight.
1: You mentioned the fight of our lives, which is the book title of Yulia Mendel's book. Are you a writer?
0: Uh, Actually, I have a kind of book slash a report on reforms of Ukraine. It's an overview of reforms of Ukraine as of 2018, released when we had a big project, a high-level advisory group, uh, with two people who were very prominent Eastern European reformers, it was Leszek Balcerowicz. he was essentially the person who reformed Poland, and with Ivan Miklos, who was the vice prime minister of Slovakia, who the person who reformed Slovakia. And I was their deputy in this group, and we were advising the government of Prime Minister Groisman, so under previous administration. At the end of this project, we wrote a book outlining the history of reforms in Ukraine, what was done in the years after the Revolution of Dignity, and where it needs to be heading. So I think it's called Reforms in Ukraine, what was done, why not more, and how to fix it. So It's for people working on reforms, for governance specialists.
1: Reforms in Ukraine. And is that in Ukrainian or in English also? It's
0: in Ukrainian and in English. I think if you Google it, you can find it.
1: You've been incredibly generous with your time. And I wish you and your wife the very best. Thank you. It was a big uh, pleasure. Stay safe.
0: <laughs> Thank you. Very, very nice talking to
1: you. It was really so a pleasure.
0: L- let's stay in touch.
1: Okay. Absolutely. Thank you, Absolutely. Pablo.
0: Goodbye. Goodbye.
1: Bye. Our thanks to Pablo Kuchta acting minister of economy in Ukraine. He is the co-author of Reforms in Ukraine After Revolution of Dignity. Editing by Ursula Rudenberg. Recording by Michael Levine. To see pictures of our guests and for more information, go to ukraine242.com. If you wish to send a message of encouragement to the Ukrainian people, please call 510 883 3115 and record your message. It will be translated into Ukrainian and broadcast throughout Ukraine on Kraina FM's 24 station radio network. This is Ann Levine. Until next week on Ukraine 242.